This week's episode is brought to you by winning because the Colorado Avalanche don't seem to know how to do anything else. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. Racing and shoots and scores! Nathan McKinnon! And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Stefan. You're locked into Burgundy Radio for December 16th, 2019. Coming up on the show, the Avalanche are 8-0-1 in their last nine games. We'll take a look at how they did it this week, because in case you didn't notice, it wasn't like the previous weeks. Here to tell you how are Earl. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. And Jackie. Hello, Jackie. Hello. Happy holidays, everyone. And back with us again this week is Rudo. How are you? I'm good. Good to be back. Colorado came home on Monday to start a three-game homestand against the red-hot Calgary Flames without Nazem Kadri or Kale McCarr, and they fell in overtime 5-4. This week of games has been weird. Um, it's weird enough to merit a whole show on its own anyway. We've got plenty of good reasons why we're doing a, a two-show in two-week um, to set up, you know, every other week till after All-Star, when it'll be weekly again, but honestly, this week has been strange. So, Ryan Graves and Valeria Nechushkin scored again because, hey, I guess that's the Avs' primary scoring now. Calgary got a pair early in the third to make it 4-2, and Nathan McKinnon was on the ice for both. So, I guess he just decided to make up for that because he absolutely took over the rest of the period. Got a goal of his own, set one up for Jonas Donskoy. Avalanche, not good in overtime. Gave up the winner to boring Sean Monaghan. The first two periods of this one, I, I, I don't know, pals. They did nothing to stick in my memory at all. The third was nuts, though. Yeah, yeah I'm, trying to this remember, the... I'm trying to remember this game, and I was at it, so that generally makes it a little easier to remember. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I just remember the collapse at the beginning of the third period, and they were down 4-2. to two. So, at that point, you kind of think this one's just not going to happen for them. And the fact that they did claw back and get get a point out of that which was pretty much a sure loss at that point when they were down was good but yeah I guess they didn't do enough to really get ahead of Calgary the obligatory nuke goal was great (laughs) that was a fun one it's coming back to me now I remember the Avs basically brought an entirely new breakout scheme to this game and it started out great. They were making a bunch of tiny little passes through the neutral zone, and Calgary was just totally confused on what to do in the coverage. Led to the Graves goal, and they had a lot of other good offense in the first period. But as the game went on, their passing just started to break down, and the breakout just completely collapsed in on itself to where Calgary just took over the game. Yeah, I remember talking about this last week as sort of <clears> the <throat> one of those games where it, it looks like we're heading for a fall, and um, you know, d- despite really only falling for uh, probably a five-minute stretch and only eking out one point, um, you know, if that's the worst they can do, uh, things are going pretty well. And it was maybe not Frank's greatest game, even though, of course, the breakdowns in front of him didn't help. But if Frank had won game he'd probably like to forget it would be that one yeah Pablo Francois has played all week um he could only muster an 848 save percentage against Calgary so I guess he decided to redeem himself the rest of the week Philip Grubauer is still down with an injury 
So, Francois carried this team a couple times. The Avs got Kadri back on Wednesday and won 3-1 to over the Philadelphia Flyers. Matt Calvert got one early, and then Miko Rantanen added a pair before Claude Giroux spoiled the shutout with five minutes to go. Rude, in my opinion. Colorado yeah. gave up more shots in the second period than they did in the whole rest of the game combined. 17-5 to Flyers in the second? So, shout out to Francois, but in general, what the hell happened here? And that was mainly in, in about the first, I don't know, six minutes. <clears throat> if you look at the, the game flow chart, right at the end of the first, the Avs just took off and dominated on the shot chart. I mean, they, I think they went on like a 10 nothing run, and then basically the same thing happened in reverse to, to begin the second period. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, I remember writing that they each had 70% share of the shots a period, and then the third was more even. So... Yeah, from a flow perspective, that game did have some pretty wild swings. This yeah, I mean, was... it was fairly boring, except for that I mean, <laughs> it was probably a 15-minute stretch when the Avs, you know, went for it, and then Philly went for it. Yeah, I I don't know if we want to save this for the Devils game or not, because it was kind of the same thing, but this was the game where Bednar decided, I'm going to break up the three-headed monster, and we're going to try and spread out the talent. And it was awful for the first two periods. The top line was just terrible. And thankfully, Calvert and Belmar in that third line, or whatever you want to call it, was just unstoppable. And then they put Rantanen and McKinnon back together for a shift, and they scored a goal. And then Rantanen scored one with Kadri, because he's still incredibly talented. But some interesting lineup decisions were getting made. I don't think it was... Yeah, Miko should have had a third, because Hart, sa- Hart saved a- that Classic yeah. me. Yeah, that was Miko rush. That was not even fair. Um, and Miko was yeah. just shaking his head, but so he got we, his about three minutes later. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that it, even despite the two goals, uh, Ranton and Landis Cog both struggled in this one. I think they have since they've returned. Now, obviously, they've scored a few goals each, but I think they've looked rusty ever since they've been back. And I think Kadri's looked rusty. So I think that's been kind of the problem with what you would say the, the top two lines. Yeah, it's it's if you look at the shot metrics over the whole week, you know, the Davs did pretty well, better than usual, let's say, just because the games were close for a change. <laughs> But it was not the top line driving it. In fact, they were quite bad. Or, you know, if, if you want to call the three-headed monster the top line. But those three guys were, were pretty horrible on the shot metric side. <clears throat> and the Belmar line is really driving possession um, over this week. I mean, they were, you know, they were in the 70% range. Let's take a right like... turn and just sit for a minute and bask in the... Belmar, Calvert, and either Nieto or Natushkin line. It doesn't seem to matter which one it is. They're awesome. Well, they're better yeah. when Calvert and Belmar are together. And in that Calgary game, they put Nieto there instead of Calvert, which I think was a mistake. And then... Well, Calvert, was, Calvert had missed the get previous game, so I, I get some of the reasoning, but they should have switched it back pretty quick. Yeah, but then they were back together for the last two, and it that line is definitely elevated with with those three, Calvert, Belmare, and Nikushkin. 
Yeah, the forecheck that those guys can put on is just impressive. Um, I mean, it's just a joy to watch. We used to really like it when the, the Soderberg, Calvert, Nieto line last year was really getting their cycle and floor check going. Um, this is kind of a different level to that. And that's no slight on Carl. It's just, you know, the system's a little different, and these guys play off each other kind of a, a bit better than those three did last year. It's a bit more energetic. Yeah. I'd say. And they were also trying to use Soderbergh in, in so many different ways. So I think this line has a better identity, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind of just, it's full yard sale from that line, right? They, they'll go all the way out every single time. They'll take the big hit to keep the possession going. And <laughs> they've all shot incredibly well on the year. But funnily enough, it somehow it has become Val Nachushkin as the finisher on that line, which is exactly what it needed. Because you knew the finishing wasn't going to be consistent from a Calvert or from a Belmar. I it might not be consistent from Nachushkin going forward either, but for the past couple of weeks, it sure has been. Yeah, and I think he balances that line a lot better than, than having both Nieto and Calvert on it. We talked about this last week, but it just, you know, at, taking out a guy that's speedy and sort of smallish like Nieto and adding a guy who's, you know, quick in his own right and, and six foot five and gigantic, um, it, it, makes, it makes it more diverse as far as what they can do and how they can play and it just it makes it incredibly difficult for opponents to counter it yeah Nichushkin will not score a goal every other game for the rest of the season i, I don't think that's he, that bold he could but, <laughs> but i know what, what's that... interesting about it is he's not doing anything in the last couple weeks that he hasn't been doing since early november the only difference is the puck's actually going in for him right now Right, which is why even if the scoring drops off some, if he's still doing those things, then he's still going to be a a useful a player on the team and on that line. And that's one thing I'm just so curious about is too, because it's possible he could go cold again. I don't think he's going to go cold to the extreme that he was, but it's just what's the equilibrium with him and that that's probably one thing if I could fast forward and right now and see what actually happens it would be what happens with him. But I also do want to give a shout out about, it's not just the scoring. He's scoring important goals too. They've all been in like insurance goals, like to put them up from tie to two to one or to give them a two goal cushion. Like he's not getting garbage time. He's not getting cheap ones. And I think that's been really great. I think one thing that might allow him to continue at a fairly good scoring pace is those guys generate a lot of shots. And it's sort of weird for a third line that, you know, we're not used to that for the Avs bottom six or, or a third line to be offensively capable. Um, you know, usually it's just sort of grind, grind, grind. It's, it's possession by cycling and things like that. But those guys take the puck to the net and they generate a lot of shots, and it's it's a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. And um, it's 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 very tough once again for opponents to counter that. With you know, generally they're going against a third or fourth line themselves. And even just from warmups, I could tell that Nuke was just so much more confident 
And now he scored that game, so guess guess it's working for him. Finally, on Friday, the New Jersey Devils came to town and scratched Taylor Hall. Then didn't trade him. As we record now, he still has yet to be traded. We'll get there. The absolute state of this game, y'all. Avs came out and looked like hot garbage. And still won pretty easily, 3-1. to one. Gabe Landeskog yeah. gets on the board with a really pretty power play goal. The Chushkin added another one. And, and then McKinnon Isis went into the empty net, his 20th of the year, and his 50th point. Well done there. Pablo Francois, yeah. 37 saves on 38 shots, and a well-deserved first star. Well done, indeed. Boy, New Jersey sucks. And then so did this game. Yeah, that team's awful. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad for him, to be honest. I mean, don't want to take any anything away from Francois. Played a great game. Probably deserved a shutout, but New Jersey had eight, nine, ten odd man rushes or breakaways, and I think on like seven of them, they just fired it right into his pad. <laughs> that team is just not good at hockey. Yeah. I think there is some skill there, but yeah, the execution is a problem. I mean, when Barbario shuts down Jack Hughes, it's not happening. Barbario was like plus 13, minus one against Hughes. So if it's not working for you against Barbario, then it's probably not going to work. <laughs> yeah, d- despite leading the whole way and giving up 38 shots, Colorado had 37 of their own. It's just that both teams' shots were mostly from the next county. It was not a game of dangerous chances. It was like watching the old Carolina Hurricanes scrimmage themselves. <laughs> and they put the good players on one team. It was interesting. The one thing I did feel out of this game, like in a positive light for the Abs, was when Val got the second goal, I think it was. Um the abs had been just totally screwing around throughout the second period. They looked terrible. And then they said, okay, we're the better team. Let's go get a two goal lead and make sure we win. And they did. And then they were like, cool, back to screwing around. <laughs> <laughs> and then when, when screwing around came back to bite them and they gave up the two, one goal, they said, oh, well, we still have five minutes to, to finish this game out. So let's just play hockey for five minutes. See if we can do that. And they did that. Yeah. They, they like kept, them from pulling the goalie for like a minute and a half because they just decided to possess the puck again. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. That is true. That this is a game. This is the typical game that they would drop. It's a late, getting in late December home game against bad team. It's between Philly they and would, St. Louis, so it's an absolute trap game. It's just a bad game, and they would drop it, and it would just be like, oh well, and. It seems like that would happen every single year. So it is a good thing that they can do just enough to win these games. Yeah, I, think I know they really it was got not a work in. of art. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they really got sucked into playing down to the devil's level. And it, sometimes it's really tough when you're playing a team like that that's you know somewhat undisciplined and, and maybe doesn't have the system to... You know, highlight what they need or what I don't know. I mean, it's just whatever's going on there is hard to diagnose. But um, you know, it's tough to play bad teams because they play badly and they, they 
they don't make it easy for you to play your game because they're just they're not predictable. So, but also, I mean, they just sell out for cherry picking and things like that. It's hard when a team yeah. doesn't have anything to play for, and they can just. It's a, it it's is a lot like, of individual plays. It is like playing like the old Oilers. When the Oilers are bad, those games are terrible because they just get sucked into playing that running gun, fire wagon, back and forth style, and it's like you don't win that way. Well, the Avs can't win those games. The Avs also took plenty advantage of just playing their whole lineup in this game. I mean, they rolled all the lines. There wasn't a forward that made it to 20 minutes. On the defensive side, the low man was Barbaria with 16.44. So they didn't really try and push the pace, which, yes, did play down to New Jersey a little bit. But it's also, we can win this game and not exhaust ourselves. So. Yeah, the thing I really hated was second night in a row that they had, uh, you know, they had a shutout they could have given Frank, and they they didn't seal the deal because they turtled in both those games. <clears throat> so that would have been nice if they could have gotten him one of those. It probably should have been both, like you said, but um, you know, I guess that's an individual thing. So the team win comes first, but I think both the goals that they gave up in, in the Philly and New Jersey games were sort of. Yeah, I mean, you not can chalk the Philly one up to a bad bounce, but the yeah. the New Jersey one was a straight up own goal. So yeah, <laughs> magic bullshit off Sam Stick. Like, there's there's no other description for it. Just bullshitting in off of Sam Stick. That the Avs scored four goals in this game. Yep. I mean, it wasn't too unlike the time that uh, the Sharks scored an own goal to lose a playoff game against the Avs. <laughs> really similar to that goal. So that's nine games in a row with a point. Dating back to Toronto on November 23rd as their last regulation lost. I don't think it's that bold to say they had no chance of getting there without Pablo Franco's. He's had yeah, a week. I mean, he's won six Definitely of those games. Not. He's had more than a week, man. He's top five save percentage in the league right now. And I know small sample size, he gets easy games, yada, yada, yada. But still, Does like... He? Sort of. I mean, he might play tough teams, but when the ad jump, Avs jump out to four to nothing leads like they tend to do all the time this year, and it, it's not tough for Francois, I'll put it that way. But the last two he's had to earn, and you can't ask for anything more out of him. You know, if if Grubauer goes down again, if Grubauer has a significant dip, they're not worried about playing Francois. No, it it does seem like Frank at the seat is in the games where he sees a lot of shots. So that helps the save percentage as well. But yeah, he's been solid, especially since Grubauer's had issues twice now. And Frank's really come in and provided better than backup quality. I think the big difference in the last couple of games has been, as the, as the season's gone on, Frank has looked awesome at even strength. But consistently gets beat at least once a game on the penalty kill and this week he's been even stronger on the kill i think that's i think yeah. it's as much of the defense adjusting to be yeah. honest with you especially in that philly game they were clearing rebounds for him and that is what he needs that's a good point the clearing rebounds is a good point we definitely saw the, the abs focusing on that especially late against philly um and they're and they're getting better on the penalty kill Gradually. Gradually, it's not like yes. last year where it's it was sort of 
Cole goes out and they flip the switch and started playing good penalty kill again. But, um, you know, I think it's more of an organic system thing this time that they're they're not over committing as much. They're not playing the swarm as much, and I, I think it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah, it yeah. helps when your all your penalty killers aren't on one side of the ice. Yeah. Um, but it, as far as the rebounds thing go, you have to make the the initial save to have the rebound. So yeah. I mean, he's he's not getting beat on the first shot. Is is my my main point there? He has to make a save to have a rebound. Pretty much. Okay. Also, who like if Grubauer wants to learn how to poke check, he needs to talk to Frank. Because he actually knows how to use the stick. <laughs> oh, the groovy poke check. So, uh, let's go dark, unfortunately. With Kale McCarr and Eric Johnson still injured, and the team defense looking fairly bad the last couple games, solid opportunity for the Avalanche to call up a defender and shake things up and get some new blood in the mix. It's hard to picture a much better opportunity to recall Connor Timmons. And yet, why? Why have they called up Anton Lindholm? Um, it's weird, too, because they have six left-handed defensemen they've been playing for the last three games. And I know it's not a, as big a deal as some people make it out to be, but like having one right-handed defenseman would be kind of cool, I think. I have a theory. And that is that the Eagles play on Tuesday. They normally only play weekends, but they play this coming Tuesday. And Anton Lindholm was the most expendable defenseman as far as the Eagles were concerned. So the Avs just wanted to call up a body to the NHL to have a 7th D that they're not expecting to play. Normally, you would expect that to be Connaughton or maybe a Timmins. But the Eagles want to win against Manitoba, who's always a good team. And they needed Timmins to play, and they needed Connaughton to play. So they called up Lindholm for the Eagles' sake. Well, yeah, I can see that he's the easiest warm body. But as we've seen this year, several times when it was, oh, that guy will never play, and then he plays. I think with the Avs and their injury situation going on the road, it's almost just asking for a situation where that guy then has to play. If and, someone gets injured and one of Timmons and Connaughton really just Connor Timmons isn't called up, it's wholly unacceptable. Anton Lindholm should not play in an NHL game, period. And I don't buy that they think Anton Lindholm is expendable down there because, I mean, Coach Cronin loves him. He calls him a warrior. He loves <laughs> all of those dudes. He loves all of those <laughs> no-skill shot blockers. And in fairness to Lindholm, he does look better than he did last year. You know, he's he's generating shots at a far greater pace than he did the last year. I mean, the points still aren't there, obviously, but um, you know, it, it's not a huge improvement. I mean, he's still probably worse than than Gertzen for sure. Um, I would call up any of the other D in that lineup before Anton Lindholm to actually play an NHL game. Yeah, like I don't understand. Like Renuff is. I mean, Renuff does a lot out there, and he's he's a lot more uh, diversely talented, let's say, than Lindholm, and he's big. So I just I don't I don't understand why they haven't called up Renuff instead of him. But again, when, when you have Makar out, of likely the lineup, not going to matter. You that we had this discussion last week. You have Makar out of the lineup. 
you need to replace him with talent. And the same thing is happening with Timmons. It's just, oh, it's not the right time. He needs more time, blah, blah, blah. It's an opportunity. They're not giving it to him. And that's a problem. Well, we all know these games are too important to let just a, a rookie play in them. So. My problem with the scenario here is Mark Barbario. And we knew this was going to happen coming into the year, that he was going to end up being a roadblock. Callie Rosen, they finally got in to play next to him, which is nice. He hasn't been anything special. He's been fine. Honestly, I think he fills the same role as Mark Barbario, and that's exactly what he's going to do next year on the last year of that contract. The problem is the Avs aren't willing to play Timmins over Barbario, and they should be. I mean, if this this guy is truly different. Someone that gets thought of as a blue chip prospect or whatever, you actually have to actively do something to ensure that he isn't becomes an NHL player for you. And this is the same thing that happens to all these other guys. And he just, isn't good enough to just overcome it just because I, of his awesomeness. The, the thing is, I think he's good enough and the abs are still holding him down there. Apparently, I haven't watched the interview, but multiple people have reached out to me and said, Bednar said Connor Timmons isn't in the NHL picture because he's not one of the top performing D for the Colorado Eagles. And that is strictly false. He's the best defenseman on that team, in my opinion. Certainly, if Rosen is not down there, he's the best defenseman on that team. And... I don't know why they're holding him back. I don't know what they have to gain right now from playing him in the AHL instead of the NHL. Everyone talks about big minutes. No, he can get plenty of minutes. Defensemen get plenty of minutes in the NHL to learn and grow as players. I do not accept that the minutes are the issue holding him in the AHL. If it's not Timmons is the best D in the A, who is? There is none. Yeah, I agree. Think, or who do they think? <laughs> yeah, let, let's guess who. The, like, let's take this as a good faith statement. Who do you think they think it is? Probably Connaughton. Which is not true whatsoever. Connaughton is. <laughs> I, I mean, his I think care by, by ice still not where it needs uh, to by be. By ice time, I don't think it's Connaughton. I mean, Timmons and Connaughton are pretty much the third pair down there. I think the only other argument is McDonald. He has the production, even yeah. though he got half of that production as a forward. So, <laughs> but if if you want to have the argument that someone has at least earned something, I would say McDonald. Yeah, to it's me, it's certainly like Mac and Lindholm are their for God's top sake. pair. <laughs> Lindholm has and earned nothing, and he shouldn't have even been on this team. He shouldn't have been signed. <laughs> It's so hard to produce down there. And the fact that Timmons has, what, 13 points? Yep. Is pretty good. Plus, and they're obviously not all on the power play because they never score, so... <laughs> it's a lot get, of 5v5. He doesn't get the plum opportunities that some of the others do. There isn't, like, all the young guys don't get the cushy opportunities. I mean, Timmons gets more opportunities than the rest of the young guys, but... <laughs> um, That's true. There's not a single stat in which Anton Lindholm is better than Connor Timmins. Connor Timmins has more goals, he has more assists, obviously he has more points because of that, better plus minus, better shots per game. I guess Anton Lindholm takes less penalties. That's the only thing that you could say. 
Anton Lindholm has done better than Connor Timmons. It's the only thing you could say Anton Lindholm has done better than pretty much every other D on this lineup, in this roster. I don't understand why it's Anton Lindholm. I do not get it. The People have said, oh, well, he's an organizational guy that they wanted to give a paycheck to. They've never done that with anyone in the past. They didn't do it with Mason Geertsen. It's I there's might be would not surprise me if someone in this organization just has a total hard on for Anton Lindholm pounding the table for him to exist. And I don't know why the abs allow this to continue to happen, but it doesn't matter, right? It's a seventh D on that part. I get it, but it shows the structural issues of the internal decisions that the organization makes. It's like he has the NHL experience because they gave it to him. And then, therefore, that means he's better than all the others because he's a quote-unquote success because they played a guy that isn't NHL quality in the NHL, but yet he's still a quote-unquote success. I mean, well, that's I'll... okay because that year they weren't an NHL team, really. <laughs> <laughs> that they obviously like got over him. It seemed like last year. Sure, they're not going to play him 50 games again. And they if probably they don't want to play one. him. But... If they play him one, it's too many. Even as the yeah. 7th D warm body, you know, unless someone gets hurt in warm-ups and they have to play him, that's the only scenario I would find acceptable. Still I agree, because, because Merit... In the first place. Yeah, <laughs> Merit isn't part of this equation, and Timmons was supposed to be the one that was different. He was supposed to be the one they actually cared about putting on a path to become an NHL player. And his problem, Timmons' problem, where you can't just say, oh, this year is the year because he lost a year and they can take it slow and blah, blah, blah. Well, he's going to have to deal with Byram next year. That's what his problem is. Like, they don't really have the luxury of just saying, we'll see you in training camp, Connor, because by then it's too late. I think that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, I just I don't think they have <laughs> any not, intention of calling him up this year. Then there's no room for both of them as rookies. It's not going to happen. If they if they don't actively have a plan for Timmons to become an NHL player, like Graves, like even though they only committed to him because his waiver exem- exemption was up in February, he still played what like thirty plus NHL games last year. Twenty six. Okay, I was close, but that's at the minimum what Timmons needs next year to be thought of as an actual option. This And he might actually get that, but I just I, I think they you know they don't want a guy that didn't play uh, an entire year. <laughs> I mean know. that's great, but I think I mean, he's a he's a rookie and he didn't play last year. I mean that's just pretty much it, the book on him right now. <laughs> Thankfully I think the Az are good enough that Timmons will get time. And I agree that the path they set their prospects on is far too slow, but I don't now, think it's a path. <laughs> I think it is a path. It's just for year after year after year, they thought they were a better team than they were. And they thought, Oh, we'll have all these garbage games at the end of the season to get them in. And then they never did this year. They will, they can easily take the second spot in the central coast their way to home ice advantage in the first round. And, the hope there is, you know, maybe we don't have to catch St. Louis. Maybe we can just be eight points behind them and in the second spot and then have those garbage games to get them in. What are you talking about? They're going to be ahead of St. Louis. Or then when... Uh, Byron... <laughs> I'll take it, but I don't think... 
where Byram's team gets bounced in the first round of the playoffs and he suddenly becomes available, then that's going to be a problem for Timmons. I think the Abs are terrified of playing Byram in the playoffs. Yeah. Hey, I'm just talking about garbage time. Dead. Byram's not going to get bounced that early. He'll single-handedly will that team to the second round. <laughs> so that's all pretty fun. Um, what what does the blue line look like next year that makes it so hard to get Timmons into the lineup? Because you still have another year of having two rookies. You, you still have another year of Ian Cole. Zadorov is still RFA. Um, Sam Girard signed until the heat death of the universe. And then you have Kale McCarr. Yeah, I and mean EJ. you have Gerard, EJ, and, and McCarr are the core three. Um, if Zadorov continues to play the way that he's been playing, the Abs cannot get rid of him. And that leaves you Ian Cole as an issue there. And uh, as Earl was saying, are they willing to play Byram and Timmons together? Boy, I sure doubt it. What is Ryan? Well, and then you also have stats? Graves. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say have... you have Graves. I mean, there's literally no spots for any new defenseman next or year. Or Rosen. I think Rosen is just if they keep Z. For... I think Rosen is just going to play for the Eagles next year. But you have Rosen signed on a one-way deal next year as Rosen's well. Rosen's the eighth D for sure. He's and, Barbario, and like yes, 100%. Ryan Graves is RFA. So and yeah, yeah, he's probably so going to get a modest type of extension. He, he deserves an NHL roster spot, he for sure. The, yeah, he has earned The it. only one that doesn't, honestly, is Ian Cole. It would be great if they would be and willing And he gets to... one for free. Right. It'd be great if they were willing to say something like buy him out and commit to having both Timmons and Byram on the team, but this is the Avs. They don't do things like that. I mean, this, this isn't like... A Even if you get rid of Cole, assuming you keep Zadorov, which, I mean, they really have to. I mean, do you, do you see the Avs trading Zadorov at the deadline? No. <laughs> no chance. So... If they won't... If they won't trade a guy like Matt Nieto, who they could certainly survive without. They're not trading Z at the deadline. Yeah, and they really can't live without Zildorov right now. I mean, he's pretty much a league-wide <laughs> reputation guy now. I think as, they as should give player. him a modest extension, too. I would give him, like, four years. Yeah. I, think I that mean, make from all list. reports, he is doing what they wanted him to come back and do on this one-year show-me contract, so you know, it, he's coming through. People are going to hate me. For saying this, but if you really wanted to play Byron Timmons on this roster, you should trade Ryan Graves right now. His value is high; is as high as it's ever going to get right now. That's that's fine too. I mean, that's at least making a decision and planning for the future. Yep. No, no, and getting an asset that you could use later down the road. He'd be he'd be a cheap third pair guy, but then you you could say, why do you need a third pair guy if you have Timmons and these other guys? You yeah, I agree with guy. that. Um, Nikita Zadorov, we we really need to see him continue this streak once the once the cage comes off his face. Because every yeah, time he it's plays, funny how that worked out. Every time he plays with something that stops him from fighting, he's just like twenty times better. So we need to see him. <laughs> have the discipline to continue playing this way when it comes off before we extend him. That's my two cents. He certainly has been yeah, playing better. I think we just got to tell Matt Sokolowski to tell him, <laughs> nope, you're not taking that thing off. Sorry, it's bud. Like the, the bar for him to almost earn his keep is to play like a number one defenseman, which I think is, like, it's fair to expect more from Zadorov, but just the bar is just so high 
you're basically saying you have to play like a number one defenseman I, to stick I don't around. I think the bar's that high. They asked him to not take penalties and not have brain farts, and he's done both of those things. Yeah, so exactly. I think he could keep that up, but what does he have to do to earn a contract from the Avs? Like, I think we've all felt that Zadorov has value and we would like to see him stay. But what do they need to see before they're willing to invest money in his long-term future? And, and I'm Just not keep doing about, what he's doing for the rest of the year. I'm not talking about earning another contract. I, like, I thought the conversation was giving him an extension. I was like, well, we need to get a little bit more time first. I mean, I, I'm perfectly comfortable that saying that the Avs love what he's done over the past 15 games. Agreed. It, it's about the consistency with him. It always has been about the consistency. Don't expect the penalties to not happen ever again. Those will probably come back to a certain extent. It's the intelligent play with the puck in the defensive zone. If he can hold down that part, that's enough, I think, for the Avs to extend him. Sounds good. Hopefully. Yeah, and, and if he's taking aggression penalties, you know, like roughing and elbowing and things like that, I, I think they're fine with that. I think it's stupid stick penalties and, and penalties like holding and whatnot that that you take when a, a guy beats you. Those are the penalties they don't want him taking anymore. I wish that was true for everybody. <laughs> because again like y'all said there's there's six nhl defenders for next year's roster and no room for for bon byram no room for connor for connor timmons and uh ian cole will continues to be a penalty machine it, they yeah. just have to find a way to get out from under ian cole but he won have, the cup that doesn't twice. it won't matter when you have a bowen byram way so they they proved they were willing to drop McCarr into the lineup I think they'll be willing to do the same with Byram, at least at the start of next year. Probably not in the playoffs directly because they have such a solid decor this year. But it's if they're committing to Zadorov, then Cole has to go. That's just how the scales are balanced. One of those two cannot continue to be in the top six. I mean, I think in the, in the Avs' perfect world, Makar, I'm sorry, Byram goes back to juniors again next year. No, he cannot. He cannot go back to the WHL. I just, I, I don't think that, you know, I, I think that they would rather let him percolate some more. I don't think so. Given how hard they tried to give him an opportunity in training camp. High end 19 year olds play in the NHL. That's, that's just the bottom line. <laughs> so, I mean, one easy way to clear up the slog jam would be to trade either uh, Graves or Zadorov or Timmons for Taylor Hall. Why not all three? Why not all three? <laughs> because that would be fucking weird. And I'm not sure why New Jersey would do that. Um, again, as we record this show on Sunday the 15th, if Taylor Hall has been traded, we don't know about it yet. I'm tired of speculating. You're tired of speculating. Let's talk instead about scenarios in which the Avs don't pick him up. I actually couldn't find this tweet, but one of the national reporters was talking about the, you know, kind of the, the Taylor Hall trade market and about the five or six teams closest to making a deal happen. One was Colorado, but the list also included St. Louis, Arizona, Nashville, Florida, and Montreal. I think that's right. This is the kind of trade that is kind of Joe Sackick's MO to end up not landing, especially since it's so fast. So tell me which of these teams would be good destinations and bad destinations or even funny destinations 
from a pro abs perspective. Like for me, I think if they do it without destroying their current roster, St. Louis is an absolute nightmare. Yeah. I think it'd be funny to see St. Louis give up assets for a rental because their cupboards are quite thin and uh No, that's exactly why I think they would do it, is they know <laughs> they need they need to go back to back because they won't be seeing the playoffs very much very, very soon. So And I, I don't think that the coaching staff in St. Louis has the system to take advantage of his skills enough to to make him seriously dangerous. I mean, we've seen I mean, Tarasenko be really inconsistent there, so... Right, at best he just fills in for Tarasenko. I don't think that makes them terrifying. Yeah. The, they're pretty for, much status quo. Yeah, for me, the Habs is the best case. but I, I think they're <laughs> the best obvious. case as well. <laughs> they also make the least sense, though. Yeah! <laughs> From a standpoint of that Taylor Hall is not what they need at all. <laughs> I guess I'd kind of like to see him go to Arizona. I think causing a little bit of a panic in the Pacific would be fun. And, you know, I've uh, I've dumped on the Arizona quite a bit over the years, but I actually think they're trying to make us take a step here. I think they're a good team, and they do need somebody like a, a dynamic or like Taylor Hall, which... They need to be able to score goals. They have a good system. They can grind it out, but they need someone like that. And I don't know. It's it's nice seeing a different team, I guess, go for it. I get sick of just hearing about all the old, same old names, the same old crap thrown around every year. It I would just, be different at least. I think he's a horrible fit for Arizona. One, because they are kind of in the same situation as the Blues where they don't have a ton of assets to give up. They're not coming off a cup win, though. So, you know, if they fall back into <laughs> mediocrity or worse, that's a disaster for them. And I don't... Taylor Hall doesn't seem to fit onto a team like Arizona where they're very much scoring by committee. They don't have a, a top line that Hall can truly drop in on as another piece to it. It's it's going to be New Jersey all over again where they, they're going to live and die with him all of a sudden. I could also see a poor system fit there. I think another fun one's Florida. I think with Quinville there, they're trying to be a little bit more like old Chicago, run and gun. Hall might have fun there. Yeah, Florida would be a blast. That would be a fun team to watch. Not just because they're in the East, but because they have a ton of talent up front to complement Hall. Now they just got to get Bob yeah, one going. Question. One question I yeah, threw out there the other that. day. Why aren't Boston and Washington interested in them? At least on the surface. I mean, Washington probably thinks they can win a cup as is, I would assume. I think it's a fair question, though. Why aren't the best teams in the league interested? Because probably the answer is they don't want to spend that much assets on a rental. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe this is just pure hubris, but, you know, I'm putting the Avs in the same boat with, with those two teams. Cause, St. Louis as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the Avs in St. Louis are interested in Hall, and yet Boston and Washington aren't. And maybe they they are, and the, the Devils have just said, we're not trading them to you guys. Forget it. <laughs> um, so... You know that that could be the answer to the question, but it just it seems weird to me that that you have St. Louis and, and Colorado interested in this guy. Um, 
I just don't know. The other two teams of of the the top four, let's say, aren't. I don't know where Boston finds the cap dump to give up to make room for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, teams do if they want to bad enough, but maybe it's just too much there. Um, And I agree with Washington. They don't have a lot of wiggle room either. Yeah, so it's Those kind are of veteran hard. clubs that are pretty entrenched with their lineup, so I can sort of see them, you know, having less less room to move than right. obviously Colorado and, and to a lesser extent St. Louis. Yeah, on on St. Louis's side, you know, you can throw a Alex Steen back the other way and, and free up a ton of space and be fine. I think my favorite of these options is is Arizona. Partially for the reasons y'all have already said. And also partially because we're expecting them to move to the Central when Seattle joins the league. So And the, and the Central is already, like, the group of death of the NHL. Especially out west. But it's between Colorado, St. Louis, Dallas, Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota all kicking the shit out of each other. We don't need another good team joining the division. <laughs> so yeah. if, if Arizona wants to give up what limited assets they have for an unextended Taylor Hall and fail to sign him, I'm down with that. Yeah, I think they're Arizona the only team that might be lower likelihood of getting him extended might be Montreal, I would say. I don't think he wants to be in either of those cities. And that's another good reason. Because then, if the Avs really want to, they can knock on the Taylor Hall door on July 1st. And I think they'd be likely to do that, as long as he doesn't get traded and immediately extended. So, and I don't think he will. So the situation is, apparently, that New Jersey's not opened up the, the talk to the agent about an extension conversation yet. What? I think to me, that reason. says that he's not interested in talking yeah. about an extension. I, I don't think it has anything to do with the Devils. Right, because for them, they want to maximize the asset value. So yeah. if <laughs> Right, they're going to get a whole lot more if they could trade him with an extension agreed upon. So they know it's not happening, so then why even bother? I mean, the, the counter to that is that all the teams that are interested seriously are only interested in, in a rental deal, which I could say it's cheaper. And, you know, maybe if you're, you know, Arizona and you're, you know, taking a good look at yourself, you're like, we're not signing this guy for long term. So this is a rental thing. Um, <clears throat> but I just, I, I thought it was interested that no, interesting that no one um, was able to get, you know, least permission or, you know, whatever to to talk to him about an extension. It's just a weird thing when they're trying to put this together so quick, and you know that's a pretty key piece of the negotiation. And the whole negotiation thing has been weird. Like for a guy who was healthy, scratched minutes before a game, so little has come out about what teams have offered to get him. I think because it's been all theater. It's it's been all the whole hurry up, get your offers in. I. Like I mentioned last week, I felt like the Avs were getting mentioned way too much for it not to be some sort of show. And then I guess it's come out that it was a show. Just, of course, scratch him against the Avs. And it just, you knew that would be a powder keg. That That's going to be something that would get so much attention. And then... Set his gear and then bag in the hallway. 
and then, right and then to do it again the next night against arizona like what perfect timing but to do the first scratch against the abs and like i said it it even come out that 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 was to show teams like he's on the verge of getting traded like get your offers in and there haven't been any like no one is buying it they know that new jersey every day that goes by new jersey's return gets lower and they're the they, ones that they obviously want to trade him before the roster freeze, which is what Thursday. Right. Thursday. They're the ones that have imposed a deadline, not the other teams. Yeah, I mean, it's like Joe Sackick's not. Joe Sackick doesn't care about the roster freeze. He's going to do it when he's good and ready. So, and and he's not going to be good and ready in in several days like that. Well, yeah, it I. I just don't get the theater of it. Like, if they're holding out Taylor Hall at that point, if I'm another GM, I'm like, well, guess he's traded and it wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're calling all your other GM friends and going, you got him? And they're going, no, I don't have him. I thought you had him. The GM Slack channel must be nuts right now. (laughs) (laughs) And right, at this point, the ship has sailed. We're already in... We're already several days after that. It's like, what other cards do you have left? You, Everyone knows they want to do it before the freeze, like you guys said. And, all right, now you're going to have to take a deal that maybe you don't, you're not getting the return that you hoped and dreamed for because you're the ones that want to get it done. Sure to self-impose hurry for no good reason. <laughs> and... Maybe they won't. If if the deals aren't that great, maybe they will wait till the deadline. Well, they're, if this... they're going to have to, or they're going to take a like a crap trade, and Rishiro's going to get fired. Right. They they try to make their own version of the NHL Black Friday, and it didn't work. So the thing bad. is, if if you know that there's just no way he's going to sign with somebody right off the bat, like Stone did last year, then you're going to maximize your return by getting the rental deal as soon as possible. So right, I mean, which it does make sense trying. to have urgency with this. <laughs> also, it's it just, takes time you know. to integrate with a new team. Yeah. So anyway, I just think this conversation is fun. Um, just to kind of look around the league at what other teams are dealing with uh, that are part of this conversation. That it's, it's really not just us that have no information. I think everybody's kind of in the same boat here. Just waiting on on Uncle Bob or on Elliot to to say, hey, it's happened. But in, until then, all we get is, oh, he's been held out again. What does this mean? I mean, how long are you going to help scratch this guy? You going to do it for the, the rest of the week? The crazy part is that like other teams are healthy scratching prospects and stuff too. The Panthers AHL squad scratched Teponiemi and Borgstrom the other day, and all these people are getting scratched, and nothing's happening. So I don't understand what's going on. If like the devils are just calling around and just, like checking who has deals ready before games and then not pulling the trigger or what? But then again, the Henry HL got a healthy like... scratch for the Eagles last night. Yeah, Ooh, well, Henry, that's a different yeah. problem. <laughs> I know. I was gonna make a joke in that that Nick, Nick Henry, he's the healthy scratch. But it, it's like the HL. I mean, it does seem weird, but the AHL is like a no information. It's like a black hole. Like, I supposedly one of those guys was injured, or it could be. There's so many different reasons why people don't play in the AHL, and it's like 
those that followed the NHL are looking for reasons, and then you'd have to dig into what does this team do? Is this guy injured? Does this guy play all the time? Does he get healthy scratch? Blah, 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 blah. It's like trying to use the AHL as an information beacon is is tough at best. Yeah, because they have no roster limits and they don't have to report injuries. So it's just there's there's no <laughs> way to get information there. The teams want it that way for a reason, and it's you know this is one of them. And the reason is they don't have to tell anybody shit. Yeah, it sounds like Pretty. the Devils want it that way in the NHL at this point. So <laughs> <laughs> Devils just want the intrigue. I I really like this angle that this is all just the Devils trying to hype it up and get it done so that. They can get Taylor Hall out of the way and and get on uh, get on with their tank, but scratching him is is already doing the same thing, and they don't even have any replacement yet. So there you go. Maybe they should just yeah, just not play him the rest of the season. Why not? Because <laughs> the thing is, if you keep holding him out of games, like you don't you start to worry about his value dropping because he's not playing games. Like, he's going to have to readjust to your new team and get his game legs back. <laughs> he's not a yeah, but he definitely is not Is that hurt. part of the debate? Like, they just keep sending him out for warm-ups and pulling him at the last minute to be like, I don't know he's totally he ready warmed... to play? <laughs> I don't know if he ever warmed up in Arizona, but that'd be pretty funny if they made a warm-up at home. That'd be pretty cruel to the fans, I think. <laughs> that would be. But just just to repeat myself a little bit, I really hope this deal does get done soon so that the story is over with. Me too. Yes. I I hate I absolutely without a doubt hate trade speculation. I hate it. It's the worst thing. It's not fun. It's anxiety inducing. Just get it over with. It's it's fun for like a week. Yeah. Sure. And it's a better when you're the seller because, you know, that player is still directly influencing you. When you're the Avs, and now it's like the Avs might even be out on it. It's like, who cares, man? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear we're 9-0-1? and 8-0-1. Unless you're from the future. <laughs> That's possible. So before we sum up and move on to the future, to the next couple of weeks, we do need to... And make my dog stop whining. Fuck. Okay. So before we sum up and move on to the next couple of weeks, we do need to circle back to Akeem Alu. I said last week that we would move on from this story unless it touched the Avs. Because I forgot what kind of sense of humor the universe has. So, sorry about that. Again, if you'd like to opt out of a brief conversation, including racist harassment, I'd recommend fast-forwarding about five minutes and see you on the other side. The Wall Street Journal published a story last week calling back to 2011. The Colorado Eagles were an ECHL team at the time and not affiliated with the Avalanche in any way. Alou was on this roster as a young prospect and the and uh, lost a spot. He was on the roster as a young prospect and this equipment manager, I, I believe his name is Tony Asshole. Head equipment manager orchestrates this at the team Halloween party. He tosses on an Eagles jersey with Elu's number and his nickname on the nameplate. Okay. Adds a black wig, which is weird because Elu's hair didn't look like that. And black the hell out of his face. Now, just for a little context, this is a year before Tyler Bozak's infamous Michael Jackson costume, which included blackface. And I think that's an important comparison because 
blackface is racist. It's just, you cannot turn an identity that society treats as less than into your costume. It's not okay. The Bozak incident, you could argue it's more done out of ignorance than malevolence. And his reaction to that blowback would have supported that. He called it a tribute to one of his favorite artists. Like, okay, it's disrespectful, it's what it is. But but Tony Asshole made sure that Alu showed up to the last Halloween party, so ever like, like, late. So he, so everyone can see how he reacts. See, that's not the same, like, how Bozak's ja- Jackson or Rafi Torres is Jay-Z. It seems to be a pattern there. Those are ignorant. While this incident is targeted racial harassment. Anyway, there's a photo. The manager's having the time of his life in it, and Akeem just looks at the camera like, dude, what the fuck? He asked for a trade afterward, and while he did get it, this all ended up with him playing in Europe briefly before he returned for an NHL cup of coffee in Calgary, of all places. So, how this all affects the Avs is it turns out Tony Asshole, still the now AHL Eagles head equipment manager. The big club, not the Eagles, the Avalanche, placed him on admin leave for now, and both organizations released apologies that claim not to know this happened. How? It's impossible for the Eagles not to have known about this. President and GM Chris Stewart has been with the team since 2003. This dude was traded after the party everyone was at made him feel unwelcome on your team. Shenanigans on you not knowing it happened. And in the Wall Street Journal story, it mentions that Alou talked to the NHL about this a week ago. Gary Bettman made one thing extremely clear to the Board of Governors this week, which is that the league hates surprises. It would absolutely shock me if he didn't give the abs a heads up that this is what Alou told them which would have given them a chance to get ahead of the story, which they would have then chosen not to do. It's either that, or Bettman didn't know there was a photo and hung them out to dry. I don't know. It's gross. It's disappointing. And that's the story. If you have anything to add, please feel free. But Uh, I'm done. I will say the Eagles were not an Avalanche affiliate in any way when that actually happened. So it did not happen under the Avs banner. They've done what they can as far as suspending the guy now that it's out in the open. I agree. I struggle to see how the Eagles people didn't know about this since it happened at their party. But the Avs, I don't really think, have done anything wrong here. It, we'll never know if they knew beforehand or not. I'll put it that way. That's a better way to put it. I agree that there's a lot of assumptions there, and and we don't know. And it it is unfair to judge, but I will say, to branch off from what Steph said, was that it's the ECHL. It, there, there is no levels of organization. that Stewart was both the president, GM, and head coach. And those guys generally also make hotel reservations. Like, they, they do everything. And this was a party that staff had attended. Schneekloff was a player at the time on that team. So I find it hard, very hard to believe that, that they didn't have knowledge of this. And, um, and, and they are an old school organization. Let's just put it that way. So I, I I'm disappointed and I'm also not surprised. And, but I agree. I think they've done what they can to this point. I wish the Eagles would own more of it but this is the the society we live in the the i didn't know about this angle is what's most frustrating to me from the eagles like there's there's just no way i also wonder where the photos came from those seem like photos that were posted on like facebook or something from back then and i wonder whose facebook they came from but we'll never know that 
I I don't think this story ever comes out if it's not for that photo. Frankly. So where did it come from? <laughs> it's an amazing point. Somebody took it. Somebody gave it to the Wall Street Journal. Well, I think it was credited as Alou's attorney as photo credit, but I mean, that guy didn't take the photo, so... <laughs> yeah. Somebody had to get it and keep it and remember that it existed. And I don't know, maybe Alou reached out to them and said, hey, do you remember that party? Do you still have this photo? Who knows? The, again, this story sucks, and uh, and, I'm, and I'm done with it for, for today. So let's go ahead and move back to hockey-related things. We need to return to the avalanche, to the actual players on the roster now, not people in the future, not prospects in the future, but the avalanche avalanche. They won two games this week. They got a point out of the third. Who are your three stars of the week? Frank's the easy one. Yeah. I'd say two of those games and a, a good part of the point. Or probably on Frank. Yeah, I like I said, he's top five in the league in save percentage. The dude has played like a beast. Um, I'll give one to McKinnon. I know everyone feels like he didn't play fantastic this week, but he had five points in three games, so you have you have to respect it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Tw fair. Twice as many shots on goals as anyone else. Twice as many expected goals. Um, you know, if if this is a weak week for him, then we, we we can take that. I think in the preseason we set his over under at a hundred points, and he is halfway there, and it's not Christmas. Yeah, it's not even close to half of the season. We're just tickling a third here. I think we're just over, just over a third. And I'm sure that scoring will fall as the season goes on. It usually does. Yeah. But you're looking at 120, 130 points? Like, wow. <laughs> I, I think 100 is very important to Max since he's just he's come so close twice. Yeah. And I, just, I, I think that's some unfinished business. And I know he's not... I mean, he really is a, a, a big team guy. But I think personally, that's the kind of thing that it, when you get really close and... and you know, you just can't get there. It, it, it irks you. Oh, no doubt. I'd be, if that was me, I'd be asking for all kinds of video review to find a secondary somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> In 80 games or whatever. You t come on, you can't tell me you can't find a secondary somewhere. Yeah. McKinnon <laughs> has too many primary points for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I. I, I think it's sort of a repeat of last week, but I'll, I'll give a start to Nuke because I mean, he's just continued to do the same great job he did last week. I mean, this was... Um, I, I don't know if we're still surprised at it. I guess we're surprised it's still continuing. We're now getting to the point where we're, we're thinking, you know, is this who he is? Is this who he's going to be for the rest of the year? Is he going to you know, sign an extension with the Avalanche this summer and continue to be this on into the future? Um, but having found money like this and, and not a, something like Yak is just so out of the ordinary that you just want to believe. 
Yeah, like like we said earlier, I think it's pretty clear that the goal scoring is not going to be what persists, but he's been playing this way for several weeks already, so it that part could, which means that even if the goal scoring doesn't stick with him, 20 goals isn't completely out of the question. Which and is crazy. Absolutely <laughs> crazy. Is he what Colin Wilson was supposed to be? I he's so much bigger, yes. too. I would argue yes. <laughs> I mean, if he's even close to this moving forward, that's better than Colin Wilson. Yeah. So, I mean, if he can be Mr. 40-point pace or even Mr. 35-point pace for the rest of the season, I mean, that's fine if he continues to do the same possession and defensive work he's been doing. So it's not like he's is been he the abs? Well. Is he the abs Masterton <laughs> nominee? I, yeah. Well, if, if if Connor Timmons never makes it up to the team, probably. I, I don't want this to be my star because I have something else in mind, but I think it's important to that, that Nuke at least shares half of his with Matt Calvert and Pierre-Edward Belmar because he's not doing it alone, and they're all doing a lot of the same things. It's just the puck's going in for Nuke right now. So shout out to all three of them for continuing to just be way better than their opposition every single night. But my star of the week goes to Ryan Graves, who is not going to continue scoring as many goals either, but he's actually finally starting to get um, some consistency in his game. We're, we're seeing things really clear up for him. We talked about earlier where he's definitely earned a spot on the NHL roster, and that was not by any means set in stone a couple months ago. And we're also starting to see him get some credit from around, you know, Avs fans, so... I think that's that's good, and a lot of that credit comes from dumb stuff, like plus minus stuff. So, I mean, he's leading the league, and they're gonna talk about it. Um, <laughs> it. It was nice to hear the NBC telecast on Wednesday night talk about him because you know he's usually he's the kind of guy that they would often gloss over. No, he's, he's just a guy. If it wasn't, yeah, I mean. It's a game that's got Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog, Nazem Kadri, Claude Giroux. Like, there's other stuff to talk about. Right. I will say he is doing better with the increased minutes. That was kind of the knock on him earlier was he would do well, but you got to make sure to not overextend him. And he's done better with the extra responsibility lately. And I do think, I think maybe Bednar serves little credit there because he's encouraged the physicality and I think if Graves really has taken a step that's probably on the NHL coaching yeah, yeah. I still wonder about the defensive side with bigger minutes he's been a benefactor of the Avs just scoring all the time when he's on the ice so that's where that plus minus comes in um, but that offensive side has been fantastic currently he has more goals than Belmar, Comfer. Cole, Gerard, Johnson, Zadorov, he's scoring at a pretty consistent rate. And shameless self-plug, I'm working on a video explaining how and why he does that. So you can keep an eye out for that over the next couple of days if you know where to find my stuff. Sweet. You can tell the people where to find your stuff. It's okay. TheDNVR.com. This one's going to be a premium video. So you got to be a member, but I know a good number of you guys are. So... So shout out to Ryan Graves, who may be leading the league in, in plus minus, but he's also doing pretty well in the mo in the most important stat of all, which is good shit to bad shit ratio. Who are we scratching from a week of five points in six games that looked pretty funky? The injury bug. 
taking the car out of the lineup is sad. I saw Yahoo NHL make a post on Twitter earlier that they should just postpone the NHL until Kale McCarr's back, and I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would agree. Have that. To, I don't. I don't like the postpone word. They're going to need to cancel some games to keep the game from being any later into summer than it already is. I already hate that it goes into June, but we can just take a break until he's back. It's fine. Yeah, and it, <clears throat> maybe this is sort of a, a cause effect debate but Kadri being out for the the one loss of the week um makes you wonder you know sort of what what his importance is as far as how the lineup goes obviously Comfer struggled a lot when he was uh in that second center role um <clears throat> you know I I think it's just a lot more solid when you're able to play Kadri and even if he doesn't score, he's going to bring a lot of things that help you win games. Scratches. Um. Well, I guess the Avs scratched him, but unfortunately and, and deservedly so, Vlad Kamenev's time with the Avalanche is done. He had his shot, he started off strong, and then Nuke blew him out of the water, and I don't see how he gets back in the lineup at this point. Well, an injury. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> Well, obviously that one. <laughs> but over what is what you would call the regular 12 at this point, yeah, I agree. Like, who are you They're gonna not healthy gonna... for that? There's nobody that you're going to healthy for that right now. Right, no. exactly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I agree. people I... hate Jost. Jost has done a lot of things except score. Um, you know, it's just he—he he is the thirteenth guy, and that's just the way it is. And Jost needs to score. Like, he's killing me here. I mean, he was third on the team with .74 expected goals this week. It's just not going in for him, and that's that's rough. Some of that is also, you know, who his line mates are too. He's not playing with with goal scorers. Yeah, the Jost thing is a conundrum. The whole thing is because, right? Sometimes he doesn't get the minutes. Sometimes he doesn't get the line mate. But at this point, he's got to be better. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's getting good shots, and they're not going in. I mean, it's not like his teammates are deflecting the puck away from the net all the time. And he's not a negative. There's nothing wrong with playing him. There's nothing wrong with putting him in a smaller role. But I think the problem with Jost is the future. What exactly do you do with him in the future? Which I know is not the focus of this podcast. But I think the it'll, disappointment with Jost it'll totally centers be the around of a future podcast. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I try to shift my seat and instead almost fall on my ass. But I think a lot of the disappointment <laughs> in Jost stems from that. Okay. Think the other... Well, my scratch is going to be a sore subject, but uh, Sam Gerard, he uh, he recovered well once once EJ left the lineup, but he made he made some gaffes this week that just I don't know. It just it doesn't look like him out there sometimes. Well, I mean, the he, decor he, he made a lot of good ones too, but it's I mean you can't argue that there's just some certain. <laughs> There's some turnovers and weird plays that are happening to him right now that he just yeah, got to clean he's, up. 
he's a bit of an enigma. It's kind of like Zadora of Space jammed him, jammed him and gave him the inconsistency. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I think not having Makar in the lineup doesn't help all of them. And yes. that's why yeah. it's even more disappointing that they refuse to see it as an opportunity where Timmons could help need the puck movement because I mean, you can't put it all on Sam. You can't pretty much say this is the only guy that can move the puck in this decor. I mean, you can. It may not work. <laughs> and you see the result. Man, so. I'd, I'd call up Timmons and put him on PP1 right now because that thing, yeah, Mac made that great play to set up Landy the other night, but that thing is ugly. Yeah, that, that play had nothing to do with his quarterback whatsoever. Yeah. And, and well, he started okay. the play. Nothing to do with the coaching either. <laughs> if the offense never comes from, from Gerard, that's okay. It really is. Well, yeah, he's still going to be a 30 point player, and that was just fine for Merrick Johnson as a number one for the better part of the decade. He's, he's fine, but the PP1 had been set up to the point to where now they expect McCarr to be up there pinching into space and using that shot. And Gerard's just not going to shoot the puck very well. He's just never going to do that. And so it really hurts the PP. Well, I also think all those other guys coming back, like it's I mean, not the power just play because... wasn't good with Makar anyway. So I, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. He like, was much productive, but it wasn't good. Him. He lets the puck get past him quite a bit too. So, but it's the other guys came back too. You've got a rusty Landeskog, Kadri and Miko out there yeah and doesn't then I, doesn't help either i don't know why they even try to play power play too there's literally zero reason to do that yeah as current berkey might get lucky struck. that's about it yeah there's, there's just not much there <laughs> i think nuke has a better chance of getting lucky yeah i think our other obvious like low hanging scratch is ian cole so instead i'm gonna go to gabe landeskog's foot because he's still like he's back. He's yeah, he scored a goal, but he just, he doesn't look right. No. Yeah. And I still wonder if exactly. I I know it's probably a broken foot, but the way he described his injury when he was first interviewed when he came <laughs> back, it he made it sound like it was something. I don't know. Not obvious. You know, you you think a broken foot would be obvious? Maybe it was a hairline fracture. I don't know, but you know. In his first game back after he scored, he told Lauren Jabara he was tired after the first period. And at the time, I didn't think much of it. Wow, I can't speak today. At the time, I didn't think much of it. I just thought, oh, yeah, he hasn't played in a bit. He's tired from playing a period of hockey. But he has a two-month-old child at home. He's probably not sleeping very much for their home stands, like, at all. So he should be better on the road, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you got to be in your pool, start going on the road. I'm going to sleep 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think what he said was consistent with a broken foot. I, I think maybe they thought it was sore. Maybe he got some treatment. And then when it didn't go away. Yeah, I mean, they, they could have thought it was an ankle sprain or something, and it does turn out to be a broken foot. So, or you, or yeah, it just it seemed weird that it, 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 it wasn't something that they caught right away because it sounded like... He played on whatever was wrong. Right, he just never got the MRI games. or whatever. I mean, or yeah. like, like Rudo said, it could have been a hairline, and maybe you get that x-ray, and you look at it, and you don't see it. Yeah. I mean, those things can be a little bitty. They could be at the wrong I angle. Just would have, I would have expected Miko to look a little rougher, and he hasn't been fantastic either, but 
you know, with him and the high, I think it's a high ankle sprain and it involves ligaments and that just never feels great. You probably yeah. feel it the rest of the season. Yeah, probably. Miko played like his first two years like he's playing now. He's just accepted <laughs> he's gone back to falling over all the time and that's fine. And then a- occasional brilliance. Yeah. And then when he's got the chance to finish it off, he does. Yeah, the hands are still good. <laughs> yeah, that Kadri to uh, Miko goal. Oh my god, that was so fun. That goal was. I'm still sitting there looking at that power play goal. <laughs> because it was Pat two passes. Because <laughs> because they never do it. They never <laughs> do that. And and the pass that McKinnon made is something else. I know it doesn't look like it, but that's something else. To 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 strike the puck in that way with that much of a fake shot and keep it perfectly on target, perfectly flat, so Lanny can just power it right home. Like that's ooh. yeah, the old slap tap. Yeah, yeah. Who knew you could pass on power play <laughs> to mean, a guy in the middle? Oh my god! There's a guy there. The- <laughs> New Jersey did screw up their coverage, and that's why they could do it, but. Diamond dot sucks. That's all I got to say about it. It was open, but they but the way they pulled it off was just something else. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, the Avs are in St. Louis on Monday, probably today. While you're listening to this, six o'clock Mountain, and then Chicago on Wednesday, same time. This time on NBC Sports, for fuck's sake. They'll have a traveling back-to-back Again. home game Thursday with the Carolina Hurricanes because the NHL scheduler is a dick. And then Saturday, the Blackhawks roll through Denver again. Lots of Chicago lately. The following Monday, Colorado yeah. took a quick trip to Vegas to face the Golden Knights. And then after Christmas, we have another in-division traveling back-to-back because the NHL scheduler is a dick. Friday, Minnesota at home, which is an early 6 o'clock mountain start on NBC Sports again for some reason. And then Saturday in Dallas against the Stars. That one's 5 o'clock mountain on Altitude 2, the Ocho. Seven games, five in-division, two back-to-backs with travel, tough opposition. What do you think? Could be a tough one, but they've overcome tough. I thought uh, they were going to get two points this week, so I'm going to say 14. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say 10. Seven games, right? I'll say the one five. <laughs> they just don't seem to lose. <laughs> no, I think... I, I think... Out of all this, I am most keyed on either tomorrow or tonight's game, depending on when you're listening, um, against St. Louis. Because, you know, they've, they've beaten Boston twice. They've beaten the Caps. Um, they've, they've handled a lot of teams that they've had problems with. The Edmonton game was a tour de force in, in the second time. Um, can they beat St. Louis in, in St. a situation... Louis. In St. Louis, in a situation like this where... You know, I, I mean, the the best Blues win I can remember is when they clinched the division two years ago. Um, you know, this would this would almost be like that, just because they really need to show that, you know, this is the final uh, kind of team they need to beat to show that they really are the, the in the class of the league. Yeah, I think Benner commented they should approach it like a playoff game. Yeah. I think they should too. Um, 
Especially because if every single commentator around the league looks at that game and goes, boo, the Avalanche could win the West, but I don't know if they can beat St. Louis. And it's not an invalid opinion whatsoever. So, you know how... Yeah, but Petro can't play to make it fair, because Makar can't play. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know how they talk <laughs> about, like... They have it's like they talk about when, when teams win their first cup, a lot of times they do so in the playoffs, getting through their, like, absolute brick wall team. So, if like, like Colorado beating St. Louis in the playoffs on the way to the cup would be a thing that could happen. Um, if they could get through St. Louis. Just like Toronto will never do it until they get through Boston in the playoffs. Good luck with that. <laughs> Slay the demon kind of deal. Yeah, the cap yeah. to get through the Rangers, like that kind of stuff. The Avs had to get through the Red Wings. Pittsburgh. Both teams, honestly. <clears throat> but anyway, I've, I've, I mean, Monday's going to be a tough one. Holy crap. Yeah. I think the Chicago ones again playing and i know i know chicago has no defense and yeah that's have, just, yeah have i'm funny not worried game. about that at all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, they and the hurricanes that are like boston they never beat the abs so i mean they're they're better now but still i i think that's sort of same they, kind of deal they may put i think that's tough shots. though yeah i think that i think the way that that schedule set up is tough though i'm not gonna say it's schedule loss i don't really believe in schedule loss but that's not great to travel back home on a back-to-back. And then Carolina's a good team, and they're a lot better than they were in the few years. And I know the Avs beat them at home last last year, but um, I don't know. I think that the way that one sets up is going to be tough. And then it's a four-game week as well. So that's they might just be out of gas by that second Chicago game. I mean, I I'm think, looking yeah, at Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> that Vegas game is definitely look, setting Eagles up for a disaster. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think 10 points is the ceiling. Um, I'm I'm more expecting to see somewhere in the 8 or 9 area. I think 10 is the ceiling. Yeah, you gotta get 4 wins, right? You get 4 or 7, that's enough. Um, mm-hmm. The Vegas game, I think there's no chance they win. It's in Vegas. They already beat them once, and Vegas will remember that, and it's a building they usually struggle in. Dallas on the second half of a back-to-back. Dallas has been their kryptonite this year. Yeah, Not I'd expecting like much be, there. I'd like to see him beat Dallas. I mean, come on. Yeah. Three times of that team. I, I think the New first York's- and the last games of this stretch, when we're talking about this next week, you know, those those could be the games that we're really pointing to. Well, when Taylor Hall's playing in Dallas, then it'd be a different tune. <laughs> for who? Yeah, for who? That's the question. <laughs> Not for Dallas. <laughs> Will we see be. Taylor Hall know. on the stretch for us or someone else? Chicago should just do it. They should just say, we'll just score 100 goals. They should just go get Hall. (laughs) And they'd still lose every game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just not worried about Chicago at all. I think the Carolina game is winnable. You're going to need a decent goalie performance, but the Avs have been getting that. I wonder where the Avs could find that. Okay, here's a good one. Who are the Avs? Who are the Avs going to play against St. Louis? It's going to be Groovy or Frank. I think they're legitimately thinking between the two. 
I don't. If Groovy's a hundred percent, they'll play Groovy. Yeah. I don't know. I think Frank's sick, and he's probably tired from playing every game. So, I, I mean, if Groovy's ready, I'd probably, I'd, I'd start him. Already I'm gonna go with I think Frank plays. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. I guess as uh as the day goes on, we'll we'll find out which goalie it's gonna be. You you know the the uh the news will come from Clark t- telling you who came off the ice first, like as soon as it happens. <laughs> I think that is Wait, just they one both of the most... came off first. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think that's one of the most one of the more ridiculous hockey traditions. Like I know everything it's... about it's dumb. It is. It really is. I think JB does it just to mess with the press, honestly. Me <laughs> too. Like if straight he up. did if he did then he would like either throw him off or have him do leave at the same time. It's not like he ever works some specific line matchup. Like every team knows what they're gonna do going into the game. <laughs> well, here, don't let either of them come off the ice. They're the last two off the ice, and they go together. And my husband always tells me who he reads in the app is gonna start, and I'm like, yeah, not so much. NHL.com is shit. Never forget it. They can't even get the lineups right. They said Matt Calvert was going to be scratched in Toronto, and he wasn't. Yeah, what was up with that? Well, at Avalanche (laughs) can't even get the lineups right. That's true. But whoever ends up being in the crease, whether it's Grubauer or Franco's or some random accountant who lives in St. Louis, you know, you can find out here. We will be back in your ear holes in two weeks, which is um, the weekend following Christmas. So you can look for us then. We'll be every other week until after the All-Star break and when the schedule ramps up. So will we. You can always find us on SoundCloud.com or on the Apple Podcasts section or on Google Play or on Spotify as Burgundy Radio. I'm on Twitter at Burgundy Radio. Keep your head up. Get in the dirty areas and we will see you right before the new year. I think the uh, the context that so many people in the organization are that were there then are still there now is a really important detail, and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that it's more than just Chris Stewart. Like there's like Schneekloth and more than that too. So I'm gonna step out for five seconds and see if I can make my dog stop making that noise. What is your problem? <laughs> What's y'all's problem? (laughs) Dogs are fun. The dogs are right. That's how we should all treat racists. Just start barking. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, racism watchdog lives in my house, apparently. (laughs) Dogs are fun. Like They they start blowing up, and all all they have to know is that you paid attention to them raising the alarm, and okay, things must be fine, and they'll stop. It's funny, Ashley could hear your dogs from my headphones somehow. <laughs> They're loud. They know. Dogs know. <laughs>